listen to the people Listen to the people, people, oh People in culture, oh yeah It's time for the gathering podcast So for the second uh, episode of this, the second season of The Gathering Podcast, uh, we sat down with Roy Wayner from... Townish. Townish. It's an interesting name for a company. It's like city-ish, town-ish. I I dig it. It's It's like community. It's not towny. Right. Which also has negative. Yeah, you can't call people townies, right? They don't like that. City-ees. I don't know. City ease. No, it doesn't make sense. Townish is good. Yeah. Good choice. So essentially, uh, you know, we found him interesting and we found his company interesting and we talked about kind of like his background that was not necessarily in creating offsites for people, but that's kind of what the company does is it matches spaces and experiences for teams to come together in um, and, uh, and, and companies and says, hey, we can create this kind of offsite, yeah. you know, thing for you. And it sounds like he's going to go pretty... Robo fantastic in the next couple of years. Yeah. He's right now he's the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Right. Uh, but he's taking everything that he learned at Platters and when Platters became Thriver. So for the Toronto based folks, you know them well. And he he talks about what he's building at, at Townish. And I think that's really cool. I think if you are a person that is the catch all mm-hmm. at a company when it's just like Nobody's doing this, but we need somebody to do right. it. Can you do this? That's what I took away from the conversation yeah. of, okay, if I am that person, how do I evolve? How do I grow? What are my and 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 he highlights what his strengths are, having had that experience all the time. And I think it's great experience from like a if you're eventually looking to become a founder or an entrepreneur. The, that's exactly the type of role you yeah. want to be in. You're he right. talks about some of those lessons. You're right. And I think what comes across is that like Roy necessarily might not have been a people person in the sense of always wanting to like concert effort amongst people, but he always seems to have had like a strategic value for the way that a company should progress mm-hmm. and grow. Yeah. Right. He used that word a, a few times in this episode. Growth. Like, growth, 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 growth. And so he always wanted to grow whatever company he's with. And I think, um, you know, his colleagues or people that became his colleagues were like, well, we need that energy and we need someone to focus on that and do whatever you need to, to like make sure we grow, which inevitably means, you know, organizing labor and, and getting people together around a, a strategic vision. Yeah. So that's a good one, man. Episode two. Roy Weiner. Roy Weiner, indeed. Thank you for joining us at the Startwell studio for another episode of the gathering podcast yeah great to be here it's nice a to meet pleasure you guys. to have you of course in person right in person I well think we've met in person before. we met in person i met martin in person as well it's yeah. probably just not, second or third time but yeah nice not, to be here yeah i've never met the two of us at the same time of course yeah. right it's a whole different explosion dynamic. of like special yeah, yeah. <laughs> goodness yeah uh so we wanted to have you here to tell us your story and share it with the audience uh, because I think it's going to be an interesting one for, you know, all of us who work directly or tangentially in like people and culture and HR. Cause from what I understand of your career, you've, uh, you've come to it from an interesting place and from doing a little bit of corporate stuff and corporate development stuff. Yes, indeed. I think, I mean, I think everyone's career is coming from an interesting place. Um, I think, you know, people are like unique and have unique experiences so I don't know if mine is like more interesting than other experiences. So but, humble, so humble. Right. But yeah, I actually started my career in finance. Um, and I've always been like a finance guy. I've been probably reading finance books since I was 10 years old. Wow. Was your dad in finance? Is that why? He wasn't, was he a banker or something? No, he wasn't finance. He was in tech. Um, but he was always, finance was always his hobby as well. Mm. And I think it's kind of like, this is what may happen to me as well. Like my finance became my hobby. It started in my career, did bachelor degree in economics, did MBA in finance, started my career in, in uh, consulting. But then um, I was working a lot with like clients. I always all the time worked with clients, all the time kind of like help clients do, you know, execute on their next project, execute on the next two days, execute on the next month. And I felt like I'm not building anything. And I wanted to build something. I lived in Tel Aviv back then, Tel Aviv, 
I don't know if you know, but it's like a strong tech hub. Like yeah, everyone's just like coding and drinking fizzy bubbly and chilling on the beach. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then I started, you know, like started getting this like itch of like, you know, I want to do something. I want to do startup. I want to do something interesting. Yeah. I joined a startup in Israel. Um, I also co-founded another startup in the in, kind of like in parallel, which is like kind of like an impact startup. Um, and I started kind of like, you know. Wait, tell us about that. What, what, sorry, you, you yeah, just cruised through that whole history. Then. Yeah. Oh, sure. So, I don't know how much time I have. So, a, yeah. don't rush, don't rush. Relax. <laughs> relax. Okay. Um, an impact startup. So, what do you mean by that? What was that company doing? So, okay, it's interesting. So, I don't know if you're aware of it, but like um, in India and Bangladesh and some other countries in Asia, um, a lot of kids go to school and they go above rivers. And sometimes there's like actually a drowning issue there. Um, a lot of kids, like five, six years old, they just go to school. Sometimes they just have to cross rivers. They don't know how to swim. Yeah, like maybe they're crawling on top of some sewage kind of pipe or something like that. Exactly. There's so, no bridge. Yeah. Exactly. So I um, actually started working together with two industrial engineers. And we wanted to build something like very affordable yeah. to allow for uh, these kids to actually go to school with some kind of like flotation belt. And That's the cool. And the Western flotation belts cost, I remember back then it was like probably eight years ago. They used to cost like 50 bucks, maybe now it's even more. Yeah. We wanted to do something that is like as cheap as $1. Um, and we wanted to do something very affordable. Um, so we actually thought of doing something that involves actually used or like recycled bottles of, of Coca-Cola or like water or whatever. And, and just create like a very, very easy to use and friendly flotation belt. And we got to the point that we are some kind of prototype. And we actually joined this very big accelerator in Israel for impact investing. Hmm. Um, but uh, what I didn't know before I started it was how tough it is to raise money for or like fundraise for nonprofit startups. Right. Oh yeah. With no business model because like the even if it's even if it costs like one or two bucks, the user is not going to be able to pay for it. So we wanted someone else to pay for it and then just deliver it to them. Um, and we started speaking with a bunch of like different groups of like NGOs and like nonprofit. And what we realized is most of them also want money. They can't, you know, they just, it's like, this is the way it works. Like there are probably like 99% of this industry just wants money. And maybe there is 1% that can actually deliver some donations. And so the business model wasn't, wasn't there. And you were how old when you were doing this? This is coming out of B-School or something, did you say? No, no. So first of all, in Israel, you do the army. So I started my, I actually went to undergrad when I was 22. Yeah. I started my career in finance when I was 25 or 6. Um, and I joined startups. I started the startup world when I was 28. So, and then I, in parallel, I did this. And I also joined another startup as a kind of like the operation lead or, you know, some Kind of role that is almost like I would say it's kind of like chief of staff mm. um, in today's world, and um, where I kind of like spearheaded like the finance, the operations, the strategy, a lot of the things. It was a seed startup, um, going backwards, also like kind of like thinking about my my mistakes. Um, <laughs> That's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about everything every, you did wrong in your. Life. I think I've done I've done a lot of mistakes in the past, like choosing um, my career, but I also done a lot of mistakes and like. Kind of like deciding not to pursue my, you know, my best ideas in a timely manner. Um, so this startup is actually wasn't a mistake to join. It was a mistake probably to stay as, mm. as long as I did. Yeah. Because it just didn't go anywhere. Uh, but it was actually a very interesting. So the learning from that uh, to share with anyone in our audience who might be going through that question. Yeah. What's your recommendation on when to pull the plug on a, on a job that doesn't feel right? It's a good question. Um, and obviously there are a lot of like things to consider, like salary, compensation, you know, some people care more about stability. But in my opinion, you know, life is short. Uh, your 20s are short, even more than life is short. <laughs> yeah, you realize that and, in your 40s. <laughs> and like when you're 60 years old, it's gonna be hard for you to work in a startup. Um, so I think if you wanna work in a startup, you have to work in a startup that is successful. Mm -hmm. You have to work in a startup that is growing. Um, and even if it's not growing, everything happens fast. You're not, you're just not flat. So in my opinion, you know, if you feel like things are like kind of like stagnant, this is time you should live. And if you feel you're not growing anymore. So I got to a point where I kind of like, you know, 
Um, the first year was like really, really like I learned a lot. I didn't know anything about startup and about fundraising. But then like after a year, I felt like I'm kind of like I'm, I'm stagnant. And then I stick, I stick for another year because we actually knew that we we're going to move to Canada, me and my wife. Um, so it kind of like made me stagnant. Mm. But I do believe in what Sheryl Sandberg said. Like, I think lean in, you know, like um, lean in. And like, if you, if you feel that like, that like things are like flat or like stagnant, this is the time to live. Mm. That's Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook. Exactly. She's not from Facebook anymore, but yeah. I like that lesson. It's also not Facebook left. anymore, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey guys, everyone at this company building things that people don't use anymore should just go and do something else. Um, yeah. So Canada, tell me about that. You're here in Canada. You moved from Tel Aviv. Moved to, yeah. This was like a choice that you were excited about, winters and so on. <laughs> so the first time I came to Toronto, it's it, like was, someone, it was summer. Someone bought him a snowsuit as like a joke and he's like, hey, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to go to Canada. So the first time actually um, we came to visit was actually in the summer. It was September. It was like, it, I know that September is not exactly the summer, but it was like relatively warm. It was the teeth actually. It was so exciting to be in Toronto. Yeah. And we were actually thinking of going, of moving somewhere just for like the adventure. And um, my wife wanted to do MBA somewhere. So we were kind of like researching different schools in the US. Eventually we actually decided on Canada, mostly for like visa purposes actually. Um, like it was easy to come here. In the US it's like for like, it's, if you're like a spouse of a student in the US, you're not necessarily going to get um, a working visa. Okay. But in Canada, it's just an immediate process. Everything happens like in a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so we decided to move here. We decided to kind of like see, you know, see what happens. And we, we had a lot of good things about Toronto. We knew a lot of like people that live here. Um, we knew about the winter, but obviously there was a difference between knowing that the winter exists to actually, you know, suffering through the winter. Um, and it was funny, we actually got an advice from a friend of ours that lives in, lives in Chicago. Um, and he told us, for the first year, don't go, every, don't go anywhere during the winter. Just don't take any vacation. Just experience. Experience it and see, you know, and see what up, what's up. Um, so we decided to pursue it and it was actually a terrible winter <laughs> for, for us. Um, but yeah, but like... Um, but the, What was the hardest thing about it? I think the other thing about it um, is actually not like the weather. Like the other thing is just like people like become like much more, you know, st- like people stay at home. People yeah. don't are not out as 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 much. And oh, sorry. And when was this? What year did you move here? Twenty seventeen. Okay, so a couple of years before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was before the pandemic, but people, are, you know, like um, people still change their behavior when it's starting to get colder. Um, and this is something like we didn't expect, right? Um, because in Tel Aviv, yeah, I mean, there's a difference between the summer and the winter, but like the winter is still probably like 15 degrees, so it's not the end of the world. People are still going out. Mm-hmm. Um, even now, during the war, people are still going out. It's like it's a it's a country where like people are like very much, um, you know, walk out, play out in a way. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So it wasn't like a. So the weather was actually not like a big issue but like the fact that people are like more isolated was a big issue for us oh yeah um but i but by then i actually started already like walking so it was actually manageable um few months after i came to toronto i met uh through some mutual friend i met one of the co-founders of a company used to call platters now it's called thriver uh, which was a marketplace for uh food to the office oh this is interesting yeah Platters became Thriver. Yeah. 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 There was a big, oh. there was a big pivot. See, no one told us about that. <laughs> when we used Platters, uh, so we were like B2B customers of Platters. Yeah. Because Platters, correct me if I'm wrong, but Platters was almost like a kind of a value added marketplace for catering. Yeah, exactly. And so we liked it. I, I remember a couple of my staff using that for client engagements and helping clients, you know, organize source uh, food and so on. And then we suddenly noticed that it disappeared. I don't yeah. think they communicated that they didn't exist or that they were doing something Maybe different. Maybe you should interview someone from the from Platos. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah so it makes sense. Tell us. Turn to their pivot, yeah. yeah. So you were at Thriver. So now what it was Thriver? So I joined Platters when, like in 2017, the end of 2017 when I moved here. Um, and I joined also like in kind of like a vague position of someone that like is responsible for like the growth of the company. Um, but like pretty instantly, I kind of like took a bunch of like different roles because the company was like in a 
iPad growth mode. Okay, wait, pause. Yeah. Over to like people in Culture Man over here. Mm. This is interesting for me, and I'm yeah. sure for some of our, our listeners and, and audience, is how companies can advertise a role, especially one that particularly is very... You it know, didn't mod- advertise. That's the thing. Ah. It was very... And, and, and maybe we, once we kind of like start speaking about my kind of like, you know, my new company, I can tell you also about it. But like, I think what I've noticed in life is that like the best CEOs are like very opportunistic about like, and not, not only CEOs, like executives in general, very opportunistic about hiring and mm. um, this role wasn't advertised but like when i met the ceo we had good chemistry we understood he understood that he needs me for what he wants to achieve i understood that he, i need him for what i wanted to achieve sure um, and it was a big you know it was a, a match uh, and i think you know like this role there wasn't like any role advertised i think if it wasn't for me they probably wouldn't hire this person after csa because i joined Sid, like after seed so from your example martin like what do you think in terms of the because you always hear these stories right is that yeah. like companies kind of like have to fill gaps in their operations uh you know and they have to kind of like create the topography of what an organizational structure is so that they can hire to fill these roles. But you always hear these stories of how, uh, you know, the best fit often comes from referrals or comes yeah. from these sorts of like nuanced personal relationships. How often is that? And in, is that a particular type of job that gets filled in this kind of casual Absolutely. Like what you've said twice now or a few times is this ambiguous nebulous rule. Like, yeah, yeah, twice actually. Yeah. <clears throat> There's this like yeah. the generalist role. The generalist, yeah, yeah. but but even the generalist that can be strategic, yeah. I think, right? Chief of staff is the okay. We don't have a solution for this, so we need someone scrappy that's not just going to go down a rabbit hole. So it comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And so it seems like that, given your experience from like a startup perspective that you can kind of jump into those roles pretty quickly. It's like, what do you need? What's the most important thing for the business right now? How can we move the dial on that, you know, initiative, that OKR, whatever the case might be? Maybe we don't have OKRs. But what I find interesting, given your experience, and I'm curious, is you've seen this in different companies where it's sort of like serving a need. What what are the common themes? Because companies should be hiring for this role earlier, right? But it sounds like you identify the problem with the CEO or a senior person at the company and they're like, oh, we should hire Roy because I heard these things and those are problems we have and they just don't know what they don't know, so to speak. So like, what is it, what is the thing that startup companies should know so that they hire for this role faster? Um, I think they should just be all the time, I think like, let me take a step back. I think hiring is probably the best way and probably the only way to scale a startup. And I think as the company becomes more mature, I think the CEO role, probably the founder's role, and probably even the executive's role is to focus at least 50% of the time in hiring. And this means sometimes doing things that are kind of like look like waste of time, just getting like having coffees with people, joining on many calls and going to events even and doing things that like not necessarily, not necessarily scale. But I think they are so important because I think the CEO doesn't even know what he needs, but he, he needs someone that's like going to be there for him and going to be the person that just like thinking out of, out of the box and pursuing these different initiatives and executing on them. Like an internal management consultant. Kind of, yeah. And I can give you like, you know, like an example for, um, you know, in 2018, for example, um, I was always like very aggressive about like the growth of the company, uh, even probably more than the founders. You know, I had like, you know, like crazy goals for the, go- for the company. We wanted like to launch new cities after CSA. Mm. I said we will be able to launch probably seven or eight cities in 2018. And we'll be able to get the company from 30 employees to 120 employees. And actually, the board of directors were actually laughing at us. Like they just didn't, like they didn't assume it's actually possible to do mm-hmm. it. Like for a company this size. And so I just decided, okay, I want to launch these cities. I want to launch LA in May. I want to launch Chicago in June. I want to launch Boston in August. Whatever. And, and we, back then, we actually hired people in the cities. So like we hired people physically in the cities. 
um, and I just like stayed. I put like probably like few all-nighters. I just like started poaching people on LinkedIn, poaching people from different industries that mostly B two B in tech in other tech companies that I felt were kind of like adjacent to what we did. But you didn't have a particular like templated organizational structure for each city and we're filling those roles. I had a template and I kind of like built also the template as we went. Like we, I kind of like, yeah, okay, I knew I want like to, if we want like to launch the city in, I don't know, like um, in May, mm. then by March, I need to hire someone to actually to kind of like acquire the supply in the city. So like to acquire more like restaurants that can actually help us deliver to customers. This is interesting. Okay. Because yeah. I know you're going to tell me about this in a second. Um, but you didn't immediately put any kind of like formal HR structures in place to help you? Like you didn't. I was the first of... HR. So I was like the actually the first recruiter in the company in this sense, even though I came from finance, I came from operations, but I was just poaching people. Then um, I convinced the CEO we need to get HR recruiter in place. Mm -hmm. We brought someone to uh, actually manage the, the recruiting or the talent acquisition process. And if, like in the beginning, I actually managed there and we kind of like built together the all the talent acquisition uh, process in the company. And I managed a lot of departments that were very different than what I did before. But I think it was, it's not necessarily because I was the best at doing it. It's mostly because I was like the most assertive and most aggressive about doing it and about growth of the company. And this is what the CEO wants, right? Like the CEO, mm. he doesn't necessarily need perfection at this point. Um, and he also like, you know, like, a lot of people from the startup industry will tell you like not to hire executives, you know, when you're like a seed company or CSA, because executive, when they come, they need to manage a team. They need to hire a team. They need to work based on the processes that they know uh, how to execute on. So I think at this stage of the company, when it's like seed, CSA, you just need people that like get the work done, get the work done. Yeah. Whatever it means. Um, so if it's like for you is like all around growth. You're, you wanted to see the team scale, you wanted to see revenue scale, you want to see reach and customer like market share expand? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, obviously some of these are like kind of like vanity metrics, right? Like, uh, <laughs> are they? I don't know. You tell us about Like it. number of employees, I think, you know, like we, I think all of us went through some changes like in the last two years once like the interest rate started to pick up. Um, and we do understand that like that what we thought about like number of employees is probably, you know, a lot of it was kind of like, was a bubble in a way. Yeah. Um, I think obviously number of employees, it has, it, it means something, but like, it's not impo really important. It's just a reflection of what you can achieve as a company. So if you hire more people than you should have, if you hire more people than like, than your revenues are, if you hire more people than like, then actually you can, you know, like, and then if you are more employees then you can actually feed in the sense that like actually provide them with like a, the right org structure, provide them with like the right structure to grow, provide them with like the right career path. Mm -hmm. And I think it just becomes sometimes like an organizational nightmare. So I do think that like companies understood that they need to slow down a little bit, like the growth of employees. But growth of in terms of, uh, of revenues, for sure, I think, you know, um, it's just like um, money don't lie, you know, like it's kind of like if you grow in terms of revenues, if you grow in terms of customers. Yeah, you're talking about like sustainability, right? And if and if you're on the right path and it feels good and it's sustainable, then you can keep going. That's the thing. And I think some, this is like maybe the one caveat because sometimes when you grow even too fast in terms of revenues, you kind of like you... There are a lot of like things that are like hiding, kind of like, in, and like you always need to be, I think as a startup founder, or a startup executive, you always need to have like full awareness of things that are not exactly the way they should be when it comes to like, to, you know, like if maybe, you know, for us, like at Platters, for example, you know, maybe one city is growing less quickly than other city, or like maybe one type of customer is growing less quickly than other types of customers. And we should have kind of like reflected, you know, we should have understood uh, probably better, but like, uh, but you know, this is like startup. You never know in advance like what you need to do. But I think that um, you always need to investigate yourself, and you always need to kind of like to uh, be to have like full awareness to everything that happens in the company, and you need the people that help you to do it because like the CEO cannot do everything. Right, right, right. What's uh, what's the biggest thing you took away from that experience that has helped you with what you're building now? So first of all, I'm building a marketplace. So yeah, <laughs> even in terms of like in terms of the business model, I think you know it's very similar. Because um, we didn't define this, but like, what did what did Thriver do? 
post platters. Yeah. So like, um, so post like obviously just to kind of like go a step back. So what we did was connecting between companies to restaurants. So before COVID, people were five days in the office, right? Um, the market was big. Employees used to feed employers used to feed employees, um, and then one day, just you know, the world is shut down, right? Um, and platters had to change. And luckily we raised Series B pre-COVID. So we had a lot of like resources, but still you sometimes like, you know, sometimes like having a Series B investors on your cap table is not necessarily the best thing once you kind of like lose all of your revenues. Um, so we did a little bit of like pivot. We decided to focus on everything the company needs or everything the office needs. Um, so food is still big part of it, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not the only thing. So it includes also like snacks and coffee and furniture and plants and a bunch of like different services for the office. Um, and I stayed um, at Plotters for the, probably the first year after COVID. Um, there was so much uncertainty back then, like so much uncertainty about, you know, when people are going to go back to the office, if they're going to go back to the office. Right. Um, and I didn't want, you know, like jump ship, like in the beginning of COVID, I was, and I still am like a good friend with like the founders of Platters. Um, but at some point I decided, yeah, I decided I want to, you know, start my own thing. Um, and I didn't know back then what I want to start. So I started like a very long ideation process in parallel to doing some other stuff like consulting, uh, also like some financial projects, because we already talk about my kind of like love and affection for finance. Mm. Um, but yeah, eventually I came, I kind of like decided to focus on the idea of townish, uh, which was kind of, I was seeing, I think like a very natural involvement from, from Thriver to me. Um, in many ways, first of all, it's also, it's another marketplace. So what we do is instead of connecting between companies to restaurants, we connect between companies to different services for events, uh, events outside of the office usually. Um, it can be venues like Startwell, it can be accommodation, it can be guest speakers, it can be workshops. So we kind of like have like a full, you know, one-stop shop to enhance events for companies um, and to facilitate more and more events for companies, especially companies becoming increasingly hybrid or remote. Um, it's like a travel agent for events, right? Like you don't want to book the entire vacation yourself. Yeah. You don't know what the best flights are. Yeah. Am I getting it? You're getting it right. Um, I think the only caveat, you know, when we speak about travel agents, it sounds very easy to replace it because travel agents work with consumers and when they when consumers book events it's relatively easy uh, in terms of like booking a hotel in terms of like booking flight all of the things are relatively solved so mm-hmm. it's very easy to replace travel agents with like airbnb or with like you know air canada whatever and no 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 offense to any travel agents but like you know that's kind of like my two cents but when it comes to booking events for a company yeah it's increasingly harder. It's probably exponentially harder than booking events for like two people. Um, it's prone to so many errors mm. um, and the events are very complicated to execute on. Um, so yeah, the idea eventually is to get to a point where we are travel agents for uh, for companies and they can book any type of, of event on Townish platform. Uh, it's going to take some time to get there. But yeah, the idea is that like, you know, once you start, you want like to book an event for your team, you get connected with people that help you on the, setting the visas for your employees. You get connected with transportation. You get connected with different hotels. You get connection with like, like different- like the best kind of travel agent. Hmm. Like a travel concierge. Yeah. Know? Travel um, concierge, but very automated and ver- and everything gonna be done online. Um, and every be- everything gonna be done, you're gonna have like your company dashboard, you're gonna be able to see um, first of all, you're going to be able to invite your team. You're going to be able to see the schedule of the event and do this on uh, on the actually on the on the platform. One of the features that we're actually just about to launch in a few weeks, which I'm very proud of, is event schedule where you can actually drag and drop your different services on the platform. Then we'll be able to actually book them for you um, according to the time slot that you actually. So that's a means of people building out an agenda. Yeah. For you guys to fulfill. Exactly. So you're 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 creating workflow within your platform that essentially makes it easier for them. But then you're like, oh, I'm I could help you with this. I could help you with this. Exactly. And for everything. And and obviously with like you know full transparency and like you know as a person that build a marketplace or two, <laughs> a lot of things starting manually. And mm. you know we just launched we just launched eight months ago, 
Um, so a lot of the things that are we are, I am speaking about now, we're just doing manually for now. So Wizard let's, of Oz, yeah. Let's talk, sorry, what was that? Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like, wait, there's nothing behind this curtain. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk. Well, they get the same service, obviously. Well, I, I, that's the point. I mean, you're in the service industry. So if you're automating stuff, that's cool. You know, do it, you know, once it makes sense. Uh, but it's really about giving that value to the customer that you're seeing from the outside. That, right? That's the thing. I Like, actually, our clients don't really care if we do it for them or they do it online. We actually care because it, it's hard to scale like this, right? Like, you need to automate a lot of the, a lot of the tasks that you do in-house. So... In five years from now, I'm not going to be the one that's calling, you know, like the hotel in Prince Edward County and like ask them if they have room for like 20 people. Um, but the client actually don't care even now. They just want good service. They want like the event to, to look good. They want the events to be successful. They want their manager to be happy with the results and all the employees. Um, and this is actually some of the, you know, some of the feedback that we get from clients is, you know, and some of the feedback that kind of like made them come to us is that like they usually book events, they're not success- successful, the employees are not happy with the events, the employees are just feeling, oh, we're just wasting our time for this. What, why? Why did you took us, why did you take us to like to do this in this day where we can just like stay at home and just not meet and like it's not gonna be, it's gonna be probably more fun. And so the, the clients don't really care about the automation. They care about, first of all, the discovery of services. So they want to know that like, okay, if we want to book an event for like 20 people, which co-working space should I use? Should I use Startwell? Will Startwell be good for my team? They first need to know about Startwell. Then they need to know that like, this is actually going to fit what they need. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to need to actually build an agenda around it and with the service providers that around this location, with the right food, with the right guest speakers, with the right workshop. Yeah. And this is extremely complicated. Um, in terms of um, when you think about it like manually, but if you think about the way you can automate it and operationalize it long term, it actually becomes increasingly easier as, as we have like more and more services. Sure. Townish, are... townish GPT. I'm, I'm trying to plan <laughs> this, right? Like yeah, make an agenda yeah, for yeah. me. I don't like Moroccan food, but I like Middle Eastern food. What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, so, um, get us to a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. If you want, I can speak probably like 10 minutes about the way AI is going to help us. Uh, well, well, we'll get to AI yeah. in a sec. What I do want to know, though, uh, if you can spit this out easily, what are the top, give me five use cases that clients are currently coming to you for? What types of meetings are they trying to plan through Townish? Yeah, so... Or events, as you call them. Yeah, so it varies, obviously. Um, I would say, like, the um, the most, I would say, like, the easiest use case for clients, and I, I can tell you, actually, frankly, they probably don't need us for this, is just, like, a company that actually is, like, IB, let's say. They actually go to the office, like, once in a while, and they just want to meet for, like, a team-building activity. Um, they want to do like a cooking class. They want to do like an art workshop. They want to do something like this. And we have a few vendors of this on the platform. Um, and, you know, I think we actually got like some really cool ideas on the platform, but it's pretty much a solved problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that hard to find this service. It's not that hard to organize it. And you don't really need us for this. You need us if it's part of your entire, you know, entire um vision for like activities for the for the company so that's like i would say like the easiest use case just just say it again what was the first one in a nutshell team building activities team building activities okay number two and then i'm going to go to actually to the most complex one and then we're just going to find ourselves in the middle if it makes sense yeah here look i'll use i'll use that finger there we go we're hanging loose right now (laughs) so the most yeah so the most complex one is, let's say, three, four days offsite for a team that is relatively big. So it can be like, I don't know, 100 people or like 150 or 200 people. Yeah. Um, and then you need to book an hotel. You need to book a transportation. You need to, to make sure that like the agenda makes sense when it comes to work things, when it comes to like to other kind of like guests that you bring in. Roy, I have my definition for this because obviously yeah. we facilitate these uh, at Startwell every day. But what is your definition of what an offsite is? It's a good it's a good question because I think the the idea of on-site also diminished a little bit like in the last few years. There's no really on-site anymore for a lot of companies. Um, so I would say off-site is anything that is kind of like off your proper 
site. So like anything, like if you have a site that you are usually working from, this this site is the, is different site. So if you're working from home, this site is can be like Prince Edward County. But if you also work from an office, it can also, can also be Prince Edward County. It's just off your literal, main site. Literal definition. Yeah. Off your normal site individually. Yeah. And actually, I'm not a big fan of using the word off-sites, um, but it's a very commonly used word in the industry. Um, for me, it's actually it's anything about like in-person gatherings. Interesting. Um, because in-person gatherings can take everywhere. Um, I have a whole like philosophy around offsites. We got we got a whole more built out built out. Well, it's mm-hmm. I mean that's a whole another podcast. But like, <laughs> I mean, it started with with that in 2019. You know, Startwell was seeing offsites as simply that in being these kind of like meetings that can happen outside of the office where the majority of teams coming here at least yeah. had their own built out you know real estate architecture infrastructure. And so it was like, oh, well, we might have meeting rooms, but we want to just change of scenery. And that was really the number one ask, change of scenery. The number two ask was gatherings that require a certain type of infrastructure that they don't have in the office. It might be a larger room, mm-hmm. you know? So we want to gather the full team. Now, in our office, that full team gathering might mean that we have to be in different rooms because we just can't fit everyone in one space. Um, but now, uh, you're right, things have changed in terms of like, you know, hybrid work, flex, whatever you want to call it, people having small offices, offices in the boonies, offices <laughs> underneath yeah. their pillow, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's gotten crazy. Um, so the request that we have every day and that we fill here at Starwell is is really, offsites have kind of grown into a full end-to-end experience for yeah. us. So I think, you know, maybe that's where you were going, you didn't really say it, but like in the most complex ask from a client for you would be that like full experience where we're bringing people to a location we want those people obviously to be able to do the work that we need of them do the collaboration feel inspired for us it's a magical thing that we facilitate right like you want those people when they collaborate especially if they're like working at home and they're not used to seeing each other in person and they're going to be like in person so they want to feel like jazzed up to be there but they also want to like create when they're together they want to make stuff they want to like you know work in ways that they can't in their differentiated physical space. Um, And then part of that also is about the lived experience and the time that they're together. Mm. Uh, Cause that, that fulfills that first role, which is team building. Yeah. So the, you know, like. It's an interesting thing. Yeah. The, between what you, you two are talking about, if I'm looking at it as a bit of an outsider, cause you're both like offsites, forget, you know, if you don't like the word, but offsites are your jam. Yeah. But in different ways, like, your platform would recommend start well. It always some does. Of the time. I mean, manually. It yeah. Does. yeah. We're, we're on. Yeah. We're on townish. Yeah. 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 Um, Wizard of Oz, right? And you're like, yeah. oh, you should use start yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but what I was thinking, and and forgive the me going off the deep end here, but sort of like back to like the '60s, '70s with like the acid trip and stuff, where it's like set and setting. So I see, like, having been to the location for start well yeah i'm like this is a really good place for companies to align on mission vision brainstorming like we're getting work done Mm -hmm. you can do team building here for sure yeah but then there's this other aspect that you're probably facilitating you're saying prince edward county i've got this you know idea in my mind of like that's more intimate that's where we're getting to know the team better we're not figuring out our product we're not figuring out the next two or three years mm-hmm. we're figuring ourselves out which you kind of you know what order of operations it's that okay is. to fart in front of frank frank judy. yeah yeah judy he thinks it's funny or whatever I, yeah. right like i think like every in-person gathering or offsite has three parts to it and um, the first one is just work like collaborative work strategic mm. work the second one is team building, and the third one is just fun. And I think the borders between them are like very vague or ambiguous, and like it's really hard to differentiate like what's team building, what's fun. But and I think every event has some kind of proportion between the three of them. Yeah. And um, but companies that are becoming increasingly remote or increasingly kind of like hybrid, but like not really hybrid, like it's kind of like one day a month or something like this they are very much focused on the work thing. Um, and they are very much focused on doing things that they actually cannot do at home or can do them like in a very, in a 
probably worst way. Yeah. Um, like strategic work or like kind of like building the, you know, building the plan for 2024. Um, working on the vision, alignment across the vision of the company, working on the goals of the company, doing a lot of like, you know, a lot of like leadership coaching is also like usually done in person. Um, and we've seen a lot of like executive teams that actually work, use us for leadership coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the work part, um, and I think this is probably the main thing that changed since 2019 or things like the years before COVID that like, that before COVID offsites were usually think, something that like only executive teams do. Or companies that are just very much like remote, but not a lot of companies were there were remote pre-COVID. I think now it's becoming something that is more common. Um, it's definitely for me, you know, for me and my co-founder, it's definitely our kind of like why now, why we decided to start this business because the frequency of this event has increased and the complexity of this event has increased. Yeah. Um, because it's not only about fun. It's not only about fun. It's not only about team building activity. It's a lot about how you kind of actually enhance your team, how you make the experience better are you want you create this experience something that people can actually feel motivated for like four or five months after the event and uh, because this is the way you can do it you know otherwise you wouldn't be able to convince your finance team to do it on a quarterly basis or like biannual basis and um, so i think pre-covid it was just mostly about fun and now it's definitely evolved into something that is much more strategic is it fair to say that most companies have seen other companies do this kind of thing and they do a copycat version with less intentionality. So it's just like, we're going to go have fun and do axe throwing, da, 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 and that'll fix the culture. Yeah. Whereas the companies that actually do it well have more intentionality behind it. They might post about it on LinkedIn. Yeah. Two different companies, the company that did it intentionally, company that uh, copied company A, and so they'll do the same thing, but the outcome is different because they didn't. And so I'm wondering, is the platform, you know, is is the platform that Townish uh, solving the how behind it, right? Like, here's the suppliers, yeah. but the how is so important in terms of like, yeah, go do axoring. But by the way, this is what you should be doing and thinking about yeah. behind the scenes. Match up people that don't work together very often versus like people falling into their usual cliques or whatever. Yeah, it's a good question because this is actually the AI caveat that I want to go speak for it. about. Go yeah. for it. Talk about those robots. So, <laughs> no, so I think AI going to help us in like many ways, but specifically about this one, one of the things that like we are planning to um, get to in the next few years is actually providing you best practices of how to run an event and what will be a good event for your team based on similar teams. Uh, because this is very complex and you need a lot of data for it and you need, and you can do it like, you know, you can do it just based on like asking people from the industry and asking experts. Uh, but there's a lot of like things that going into events and a lot of like moving pieces that you will need a lot of data to solve in order to actually show companies what worked for other companies that were similar size, similar budget, similar vibe. Um, so we are working on different features now and we're probably gonna launch them in the first quarter of 2024, but it's not gonna be perfect because we need more data for it to be, to be perfect. And this is where AI comes into play. Um, it comes to play into other, some other places if you want to. Of course. Um, so I think for us, one of the main challenges in general for um, building a marketplace is the acquisition of supply. Okay, I live in Toronto, I know that Startwell is amazing co-working space, right? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I live in Toronto. I know that like uh, that this guy is doing like the best leadership coaching. Okay, but now I want to launch Chicago or Boston or LA. How do I find the, the best Startwell in Boston? And I think this is where AI comes isn't to play. One. And like the fact, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> a lot of our clients are like, can you please open a location yeah. in Montreal, French in Calgary, in Vancouver? Yeah. Yeah, but like, but I think and it's funny because we can also speak about it, but like my, when I started actually thinking about the idea of Townish, it actually started also as a real estate play. Um, and then I understood I can just better scale as a software business uh, because it's going to be extremely challenging for me to build Startwell in all of the cities in the US. I hope that you do, by the way. Um, you, you're going to be our first partner. Plans have changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, also, go. I have a different <laughs> approach to scale, you know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not so sexed up by like, not seeing my daughter as much and having to be with planes, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Um, so yeah, so I think um, AI gonna help us enhance the supply acquisition and get actually more suppliers that good for us in different places across the world, across North America. 
It's also obviously going to help with the demand, like to actually build the event and build packages across different services. Because what we do now, man very manually, is actually build packages for clients. So, okay, you want to go to start well, you want to eat dinner uh, in the area, you want to do like a team building activity in the area. Okay, we're going to build a package around it. And one, as we scale, we're going to do it with AI. We're going to build these packages uh, across different criteria, across different parameters, like location, like budget, like, ser like type of service, type of event. Um, and AI is going to facilitate all of it in a very, very, you know, scalable way. It's funny. Uh, but how soon is that future? Because that's, that's literally like a one month coding sprint with GPT. It was yesterday. Yeah. So <laughs> one of the, one of the things that I'm actually, it's funny because I told you like, I'm very aggressive. I'm very, you know, I, I'm very quick to do a lot of things, but one of the things that I, that we've decided, me and my co-founder, is we want to focus on Ontario to begin with. We want to actually figure out the kings of the product here mm -hmm. before we scale to other regions. Um, and figuring out the kings of the product is not only about enhancing supply because we already have supply. It's about building a platform that the users can actually use. It's about building the agenda for the events. It's about actually automation of the marketplace because now we are the one that like just do the transactions, but we want people to actually, to be able to book things automatically. Mm -hmm. So we have like a full roadmap for like the, the next 18 months. It doesn't oh, okay. include the non supplied in different regions. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think in 2025, we're going to start expand to other regions and other locations. And then the time we're going to execute on this. Cool, man. So yeah. you got, you got your, uh, horizon set. I'm f yeah. How does that feel, by the way? I'll ask you this because now you've you've gone from this kind of like consultant to in-house kind of consultant employee, co-owner in the terms of the growth vision and taking on scaling companies role, and now you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. And you have a co-founder. Who's your co-founder? And uh, and how do you guys stay motivated as entrepreneurs now versus your previous career history? Yeah, my co-founder is his name is Cam. Um, he's an engineer. Um, he lives in Waterloo, so he's kind of like part of like the Kitchener Waterloo Mafia. Mm -hmm. um, he was VP of engineering for like few startups in Kitchener Waterloo area. He was the VP of engineering for uh, Daylight. He was VP of engineering for Myovision. And he was also senior director at EA Sports. So there's a lot of engineering experience, yep. a lot of coding experience. Um, and he just runs, you know, like he's one of the people that's like, if he has like the vision and like the what in and a good design, to be honest. You can just run with it um, and just code like crazy. So, cool. um, and we actually found each other through a mutual friend that connected us um, and told us, you have to, told me, you have to meet Cam. Cam is very passionate about this. His wife is actually in the same industry. We all, we've been always speaking about it. You have to meet Cam. And then when I met Cam, it was the day that he decided to leave his old job and decided he want to start something. And he actually didn't know what he want to start. Serendipity. serendipity. Right time, exactly. The universe is providing. There you go. Yeah. So I guess serendipity, karma, whatever. But like, um, and so we decided to start working together. Kind of like did this like stress test. Um, and we've been working since probably now nine, ten months. It's awesome. That, that stress test. It's important. So, so important. important. Like takeaway for anyone listening in terms of like, I'm going to start my own thing. Like stress test who you work with. Yeah, it's so true. And it's interesting because like if you're doing this kind of like accelerator startup, you know, rapid company oh, development goodness. thing, then often cases it's really about like throw people into the boiler pot and like, you know, if you can't stand the pressure, it's because you're not a <laughs> super bro. Yeah. And like, that's just stupid. Yeah, I, I think if you're building a company and and you want it to be your thing, you know, yeah. uh, and you're gonna commit to it, and you there's so much pain down that road that like doing it alone is difficult, let alone with somebody else. Yeah, I'm very much in the camp that like um, that you should do it with someone, uh, just because it just mentally it's very consuming, it's tough, and also. You need complementary skills. So yeah, I can do a lot of things I've done. You know, I've probably managed or like kind of like spirited or like managed horizontally a bunch of like departments, like talent, sales, customer success, a lot of departments, but I'm not an engineer by no means. Mm. Um, you need someone that can actually build. Um, you need someone that can actually execute on a product vision. 
And you need someone that also complements you, in, I think, in terms of like values and in terms of, you know, of day to day. And, and I think, you know, me and Cam are like very different, you know, in many ways, but we're also like very much aligned in terms of values, very much aligned in terms of where we want this company to get to. Um, and I think, you know, it's like just for me, I can't have it any other way. That's like... Uh, That's awesome. That means that you're excited about what you're doing. Very excited, very passionate. And I think, like you said, like um, when we, you just mentioned the horizon, I think it's it's not a one-year gig. It's like, I know, like it's, it's complicated. It's like it's 10 years, 12 years, eight years, whatever. But like, I think people are like very much like... Um, it's like this quote, like people are usually, um, they overestimate what they can achieve in a year and they estimate, underestimate what they can achieve in 10 years. Um, <laughs> and I think that's really is the case. I think, especially when you build a marketplace, it's tough. You need to sell to two sides. You need to operationalize a lot of things. It's not like building like some AI gig that maybe like in two weeks going to be able to generate some revenues, but in, other, in the next two weeks, a lot of people are going to be able to copy. And um, you need to actually build the moats and building the moats is doing it with a lot of like sweat, blood and tears. And um, so I think, you know, like both of us are here for like the, for the long run, both of our, both of us understand that this is a long journey. Um, but we want to change the industry and we want to change the way events are run. And we think we have a good opportunity to disrupt this injury, the industry, which is very, very much, I would say antiquated. Um, old, you know, you wouldn't believe sometimes, like working with like hotels, everyone like using different systems. So if you talk about an industry that you fit into, you're specifically talking about corporate events, is it? Talking about events in general, corporate events, yeah, because I think we definitely focus on corporate events, but I think the entire events industry mm. is a little bit broken or a little bit like just needs, you know, a shakeup. Um, oh, big families, right? Like, so I'm like, could I use the platform to plan a Christmas gathering? So we're not gonna block you, but we, <laughs> good. Thank but you, we're not gonna. You. But we're not gonna sell you. That's the thing. No. Does that sound like they're excited for those customers? <laughs> like vision, we're not gonna block you. No, our vision is to have like we'll a take full, your money. Our vision is to have like a, an open marketplace. So yeah. you'll be able to use the marketplace to. And you know, it's by the way, it's the same that happened to us with like platters. We did have people like ordering food for like bar mitzvahs or or weddings or whatever. We never sold to these people because you won't, it just doesn't make sense in terms of unit economics. Like yeah. You can't afford actually to acquire this customer because they're not going to be frequency of events. They're not going to be frequency of orders. It just doesn't make sense in terms of like the lifetime value of the customer. And it just doesn't make sense in terms of like the focus of the product yeah. because you build a product for business people. Um, so I think, yeah, like we, we, but we're not going to open, we're not going to block the marketplace and it's also going to be open for a lot of like team leads and a lot of people that are not necessarily the people that we're going to sell to, but once the product is fully operating, fully, you know, fully, it can execute fully any event, any type of event, I believe that also team leads are going to be able to use it and not necessarily only people and culture and HR people. Yeah. Cool, man. That's awesome. Well, it was really nice hearing your career history leading up to this point and how excited you are to solve the problems that you're doing with especially that like, you know, cautious approach to um, getting better at what you're doing. I think that's cool. It's exciting to hear that, you know. I think I am. Um, I just know better now, right? Like, it's like <laughs> I'm not 20 years old anymore. So, yeah. Wicked, man. That's why it's going to succeed. Hopefully. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Right on. Let's pound that out. Boom. Boom. Here, let's do a triple boom. 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 Triple boom. <laughs>